Welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki G. Wealth isn't defined by one single thing. In fact, life is like a giant rubber band ball full of twists, turns, and moments where we might pop, both in good and bad ways. I'm here to share some of life's lessons learned in real estate, finance, and parenting tidbits, literally anything that happens in life. Some episodes will be guests, some completely solo. Life's a journey. Let's make it a good one. And now a quick word from one of our sponsors. Listen up. Have you ever wanted to get started investing in real estate using your 401k or an IRA? If so, I've got some great news. EQRP and I have partnered up to offer you the chance to get those funds sitting in old investment vehicles working for you. It's time to get checkbook control of your IRAs and 401ks. Click the link in the show notes to learn more and book your call today. All right. So welcome back to another episode of the Wicked Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Nikki G. Today, we have a very special guest named Eric Lazama. Eric is a member of Active Duty Passive Income Multifamily Community. He's a husband to Amy of eight years and dad to two energetic and loving kiddos ages three and five. Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Nikki. Thanks for having me. It is such a pleasure to be here with you today. It really is. Yeah, no, I'm, I was really excited to get you on here. So we met on LinkedIn and then we ended up connecting offline on a Zoom. And I feel like we had such a great time kind of conversing with one another and learning about one another's goals and aspirations. So let's kind of start off a little bit with just you telling us a little bit about yourself. So what's your background? Where'd you come from? What's your story? All right. Uh, My name is Eric Lazama. So I'm born and raised in Guam. It's a U.S. territory in the Pacific Islands. I was born and raised there until I was 25 years old and very deep into culture and in family and just living outdoors, right? That's just been my life. I grew up in the jungle and in the ocean. (laughs) (laughs) That's the both worlds. (laughs) Not the forest, the jungle. That was my thing. So I did that growing up. I didn't leave, to, like I said, the islands until I was 25. But with that, I joined the army right when I turned 18, went off to basic training. I was a military policeman for a few years. And then I went to the University of Guam, got my degree, got my commission in the United States Army. And then I've been an army aviator ever since 2005. So fast forward, I retire next year. And because I retire next year, I've been trying to figure out the past couple of years, I've been trying to figure out what do I want to do when I grow up? I've been investing in stocks for almost a decade now, and I just wanted to diversify my portfolio and really figure out what I wanted to do. So I got into real estate investing a couple of years back. I have a few single family properties across Alabama and North Carolina, and now I'm in the multifamily scene as an LP. I founded my own company, Erwin's Capital, to get into syndications so that when I do retire, I'm going full-time into the syndication world. So excited about that. That's so awesome. Good stuff. With you being active duty and then also owning, you know, these single family properties, what prompted you to invest in Alabama and the Carolinas? Like, what was it about that market or were you stationed there? What did that look like? Yeah, back then I didn't know what market analysis was. All I knew was that I lived there. I knew the area. I built a rapport with the property managers there that I trusted. 
And that's kind of what I did. Wherever I would get stationed, I would buy properties because I already knew the team there. I knew the reputation. I knew the area. I knew if it was a good street, a bad street, if it was an upcoming street or what. So that's kind of how I started. Cool. Okay. I feel like many of us, when we get started in real estate, we don't all know about what market analysis is all about, <laughs> right? We're kind of just like, okay, you know, similar to how you just said, right? You We invest in the stock market. So you yeah. said you've invested for like 10 years, which I think most of us kind of business professionals have done because that's, you know, the traditional route. That's what we're taught growing up. Like you're taught that cycle of getting a great job and going to school. And well, I guess the school comes first, right? But (laughs) school then getting a good job and then investing in, you know, the traditional assets. So with real estate, was there anything like specific? I know you said you wanted to diversify, but was there something about real estate that was intriguing to you besides just diversifying? Was there anything else? No, there really wasn't. It was more so I bought my first home in 2013, lived in it. And when I bought my first home, I was like, all right, I got to buy a home. I'm already a captain in the United States Army. I'm retiring in a few years. Like I have to at least have a home, right? That white picket fence, the family. Like (laughs) I have to do that because that's what culture tells me to do. So when it's time to leave, I was like, all right, so what am I going to do with this house? I had no idea what I was going to do with it. So I figured out back then when I had no idea how to prepare for retirement, I was like, okay, I'm going to rent my home. I'm going to have it paid off by the time I retire. So that means I'm going to put extra money into it every single month <laughs> and get it on a 15-year note. Then when I retire, this home in Alabama was going to pay for my current retirement home, wherever that may be. And then I have my army retirement to live off the expense. I was like, I'm good. There's my retirement plan. (laughs) That's how it all started. (laughs) I love it though. There's a plan behind it all, right? Like you're using current assets that you own to then scale in a sense. But I don't know that at the time we always know what scaling even looks like. We're just like, sometimes you become like an accidental landlord, right? I've heard that a couple of times where someone maybe wasn't able to sell their home or they just, whatever had come up. They ended up like keeping an old home and then they look back on it and realize, wow, that was actually a really good call. You having, you know, these single family homes, of course, that adds to your net worth too, right? But you mentioned something that I definitely want to highlight, which I want to congratulate you as having this amazing accomplishment this year. And that is getting into your first multifamily syndication investment. So first off, congrats on becoming a limited partner. Was it hard to make that move? I don't want to say it was hard or difficult. I'm used to doing a lot of difficult things throughout my career. My entire career has been difficult, right? So for me to say it was difficult, comparatively speaking, not so much. However, it was a little scary. But after some education, like educating myself on commercial real estate, on real estate investing, and then just jumping in and taking action and trusting yourself, trusting your instincts, trusting the education that you've built, and then just taking action and going for it, right? Because if you don't take action, everything's going to be a thought until the day you die. Oh, yeah, that's a good one, actually. Taking action, I feel like to mindset, right? You have to have the right mindset to be able to make this move. Would you say that you had to kind of prepare for a pretty major mindset shift kind of with that transition of going outside of a W-2 and starting to prepare for retirement and starting to invest in things that maybe be a little bit unfamiliar? Was there a mindset shift there that you had to start to adapt? You know, funny you ask 
because there was a mindset. I don't want to say a mindset shift because again, being in the army and being a type A personality, being in the field that I'm in in aviation, it's all type A. It's all get it done, get it done to perfection, get it done the first time and don't ask questions, right? So that's always been my mindset. I've always been attacking problems face on. Like I never run from problems. However, through my education process this year in the multifamily scene through ADPI, they brought the high performance mindset onto the table. So although I've been thinking about it and I've been executing it on a day-to-day basis, I never actually thought about it. I never actually put words into those actions until this year. I guess it's a double-edged sword. You do need that mindset. You absolutely need that high-performance mindset in order to take action, in order to trust yourself and do the things that is going to lessen the risk in those decisions. Yeah. So let's back up just a little bit because I know that in the syndication world, although it's not something that is brand new, right? Of course, people have been investing in alternative assets for years, decades, But syndications is something that's a little bit different. So how did you hear about passive investing in multifamily syndications? Like, where did that come from? So I've been a Bigger Pockets member for almost three years now. And as I educated myself on real estate investing, I started with single family homes, like like everything else, right? That's what you see. That's what you think you can do because you don't ever look at those apartment complexes, right? Because those are for the billionaires. Yeah, those are too big. Those are huge. And as a regular W2 guy, I could never purchase an apartment complex, right? So I educated myself. And then on Bigger Pockets, they had their first multifamily boot camp through them. And I was like, you know what? I'm investing in single families. I thought multifamily was the duplex, the triplex, the quadplex. I was like, that's the next step. Obviously, I'm going to take the course. <laughs> so I took the course and they started talking about apartment syndications. I had no idea what a syndication was. I had to look it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like <laughs> so, most of us. <laughs> like most of us. Yeah. So anyway, I'm like, all right, well, whatever. I've already signed up for the class. I'm going to take it. I'm going to educate myself. There's nothing bad that can go wrong with me educating myself. So I stuck with the class and I wasn't completely sold with the concept. I just wanted to educate myself because I was already in it. Yeah. But after the class ended, that's when my aha moment hit. It's like, wow, scale forced appreciation. And like, this is it. This is the way to scale and get to retirement quicker, right? To get to your life faster. And (laughs) once it ended, my mindset shifted to this is what I want to do. This is not just a step towards buying the next fourplex in my area. Right, right. Oh, I love that. I love that. Okay. So bigger pockets, definitely a lot of self-education. We've got some mindset things that are going on where you're more adapting and you're like, okay, I've got an open mind. Like, I don't know what the hell syndication is, but I'm going to figure it out because you got to jump in. Exactly. Right. And then you figure it out later. So with your self-education and then understanding kind of tapping into the syndication world, did you have like any specific criteria that you were looking for in your first investment or just an investment in general? Right after the course ended? Yeah. Right after the course ended where you were like, okay, I'm ready to take the next step. I'm ready to invest in you know, my first deal as a limited partner. Did you know what you were looking for in terms of like a good deal for you? Well, honestly, looking back, I don't want to say I knew what a good deal was. I continue to educate myself. I continue to network and I continue to learn. 
one of the basics really was underwriting on a commercial property. So I really wanted to learn how to underwrite at a basic level so I can at least understand all those acronyms and what all those numbers actually meant in, in real life and not just in a class setting. So yeah, I just educated myself a little more and then figured it out as I went along. But really the callus of what to invest in wasn't necessarily what I was looking at. I was more looking so who to invest with was, was what I really focused on. Right. So we know in, you know, the syndication world that there are operators also known as sponsors or general partners. And then of course, there's the investor that puts up their capital for their investment returns, which are considered the LPs or limited partners. So when they are coming together, it's important for the limited partner to be able to find a GP or general partner or team that they can invest with that they have, you know, some sort of values or alignment with, right? So in finding the team that you had invested with, how'd you find them and kind of how'd you go about making that connection or that initial relationship? So the syndicators that I went with were actually the same team that facilitated the multifamily bootcamp with bigger pockets. I built the relationship with them through the class. I understood their principles, how they invested, what they invested in, and I saw their track record. And I kept in touch with them throughout the months as I would try and learn more and more and try and build my own general partnership team. I kept asking the questions and I just stayed involved. And then months down the line, lo and behold, they had a 506 Bravo or 506B syndication that came up and I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And that's another piece of the puzzle, right? Is that there's two different types of syndication offerings, right? There's the 506C that are publicized and only for accredited investors. And then there's the 506Bs that are open to up to 35 non-accredited. And then of course, the accredited investors as well. I think there is a little bit of a misalignment, I guess you could say, in that there's a lot of people, a lot of kind of average Americans that are out there that feel like they don't have an opportunity to invest in syndications because all they see are accredited offerings. They're not seeing a piece, I call it the hidden market with my mentorship group, but they're not seeing the offerings that are available to them because they don't have the relationship. With you of having developed that relationship, it was ongoing. And then of course you developed that trust. Was there any other qualities with the team that you felt really kind of resonated with you where you were like, okay, like this is what builds up trust for me? I mean, there was a lot really. It was just really their personalities throughout the months of class, the way they shared their products, the way they shared their techniques, their procedures, how open they were to help you or to to help us. Really, that's what established that relationship. That's what established that trust. I already knew them from the course. I liked them through the course as I saw their personalities throughout the months and I trusted them. So, you know, know, like, and trust those people, you're going to more than likely, if the opportunity arose, why wouldn't you invest with them if they could make you money and you can help them out, right? It's a win-win situation. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's very true. No like and trust. I say that all of the time because here's the thing is that you need all three of those things. You can't just know and like the deal and you can't just trust and 
I don't know, the deal's kind of crappy, but you're like, oh, well, I'll trust because they're good operators, whatever. And you can't just like someone and feel like everything that they offer is good, right? Every single deal that we come across looks different and all of the opportunities look different. So you definitely need all three, knowing, liking, and trusting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Actually, right before I signed on the dotted line with them on that 506B, mm -hmm. I was actually talking with another syndication team or another general partnership team out in San Antonio. And they were educating me as well. They were establishing the relationship with me. They were helping me out along my real estate journey. And they also had a 506B deal. Mm -hmm. And it was in San Antonio, which is just a less than a three-hour drive from me. So yeah, I knew yeah. them. I liked them. I didn't know them as long. But I went over to the property to visit with them. I went over the numbers. I went over their business plan because I wanted to see it firsthand. Mm -hmm. And it was something about that trip over to their apartment complex in San Antonio that just didn't feel right for me. I think it was like that week that the current GP team that I'm with now offered the deal. So it was like perfect wow. timing. I was like, all right, guys, I'm out. I'm going yeah. to go like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. To have all three really is. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I like too that you also followed your intuition and you followed your gut. And when all else fails, sometimes that is exactly what we need to follow, right? It's just our feeling about the person, the team, the deal. So as a limited partner, obviously with investor relations, you typically deal with like one specific person on the team, right? It's not usually everyone. It's whoever you've developed that relationship with. Mm -hmm. So if there was a deal that popped up and you loved it, but you didn't like everyone on the team, how would you look at that? I think it would depend on what that person did in the team. So if I didn't like someone, if whether it was personality driven or the work <laughs> ethic, let's say right. they were the acquisitions manager and they were just looking for the deals, mm -hmm. I probably would still invest with them because I would look at the asset manager. That's yeah. who I dig into. I really dig into the asset manager. I'm not an underwriter. I'm not a numbers guy, but mm -hmm. I will look through spreadsheets and, and double especially. <laughs> But yeah. I will absolutely dig into the asset manager, see how they built their business plan and mm -hmm. see what they do on a day-to-day -day basis on how they manage properties. Yeah. Okay. No, I like that. I like that. So if there is someone that you know is like new, they're looking to become a limited partner, give me like one thing that you might like recommend to someone who's new and learning to know before making the decision to become an LP. You're never going to know everything about that deal because if you did, you would be the general partner in the business, right? Yeah. You would be getting the property. You would be managing it. You would be underwriting it. So you just don't know everything. So again, you have to educate yourself in order to understand the market, to, to know where it's at, to understand the underwriting, to understand in general terms, how they plan to execute their business plan. And then from there really falling back to trusting the general partnership team. Yeah. Okay. No, I like that. I think also too, transparency, like that kind of seemed like it came out in what you were saying as well just now is having more of that transparency with the team too, and them making sure that they are being honest 
right? Mm -hmm. Of course, that kind of falls into that trust piece. But also, I feel like this is one thing that I wish I would have known a little bit more going forward now since I've been vetted by, you know, tons of investors myself Mm -hmm. is asking tough questions and asking it how it relates to the investor. Like, when was a time that you had to make a difficult decision? What did that look like? And how did it play out with the investors? Questions like that, I feel like, you know, kind of put people on the spot, but it's good to know as a limited partner. That's a great point. Transparency. I was thinking more transparency as you're already in the deal and see how they communicate. But going back to the apartment complex at a GP team in San Antonio, Mm -hmm. instead of asking the hard questions, I was throwing them softballs and there was one big like elephant in the room that I was trying to pull from them that they were not answering. And I think that was, again, that catalyst of me saying no to the deal, right? It's that transparency, like, okay, we're here at this point in time within your business, but you should be doing X, Y, and Z, but you're not. Why? I need to know why. So that was just my technique. I was throwing softballs instead of going direct to them because I wanted to see them, like you said, be transparent. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to have to ask that question. I didn't want to have to ask the elephant in the room question. I -hmm. wanted them to say, huh, he's asking us these types of questions. We should also tell him this. But they never told me what I wanted to hear. Uh, Okay. I feel like that would be a red flag. That would be a red flag for me as well. So I'm really glad that you went with your gut intuition on that and followed true to that. And of course, there was a deal right around the corner for you with like the team that you knew, liked, and trust. So that's perfect. 10 times so, better. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, even if it wasn't necessarily like better numbers, higher IRR, you know, mm-hmm. higher cash on cash, you know, it's a solid deal. I know yeah. as an LP, I'll get paid and communications is constant. So it's yeah. that peace of mind, right? Yeah, no, of course. And you know what? That in and of itself, the peace of mind and just knowing that you're going to get paid as well, like that piece of it is worth more than a deal that's like a couple percent more IRR or better equity multiple or whatever, right? Because, you know, those are projections. Absolutely. I was talking to another uh, limited partner just the other day and he's like, yeah, I've been in this deal for, I think he said eight or nine months and they're still waiting to get paid. I'm like, that's insane. I was like, okay, that was obviously part of the business plan, right? He's like, Mm -hmm. no, that wasn't. I was like, Okay, so what is the reason why they're not paying you? He's like, well, they're saying the market. I was like, bull, it's not the market. It's something that they're failing to do and they're not telling you. Yes, yes, absolutely. And so I'm going to piggyback off of that as well because I was talking to a limited partner who's invested on like four deals. And she was saying her first one that she invested in over a year ago has still not paid. And I was like, a year? And she said, yeah, you know, I still like the operators and I still trust that, you know, they know what they're doing. And when I asked, okay, well, what was the explanation for why you haven't had any distributions for the last year? And she said, well, the way that inflation was, I was (laughs) like, uh, that doesn't make sense. But Mm -hmm. then she was saying that, you know, because of inflation, they were holding on to the extra cash that was coming in just to see what the market was going to do. And I was like, Interesting. Yeah. A year later, I'm like, hmm, well, inflation was, you know what? I'm not actually going to go into this with you. (laughs) I just (laughs) leave it there. And that's the biggest piece too, is like not only knowing, you know, when you find that deal that works for you, but knowing that you're going to get paid, like that's that peace of mind, right? Right. That's what we're in it for. So 
No, I love that. So I know we are on the Wicked Wealth show and I have a couple of questions. Actually, I have three questions that I go through over the end. So the first one, are you ready? I am. Okay. All right. So the first one is what does wealth or like the concept of wealth mean to you? Wealth to me is being able to buy back time for me and my family. It's being able to provide for my family, to be there for my family when and where of our choosing. Being in the military serving for the last 20 years, my entire career has been about serving others, has been about serving my country. And I've been putting my family in the back burner. But now that I'm retiring, it's time for my family to be up front. And it's time for me to provide to them, not just money, but my time. I have kids, my wife, I want to be there for them. I want to make memories because life is short. And being able to do that, being in a position to do that, to me, really is well. The money, the number in my bank account, for the most part, is irrelevant as long as I can pay my bills and pay that time back to my family. Yeah. Oh, that's so special. I love that. Has there been, you know, one person that's been in your life that's been a little bit of like a guiding light for you in a sense? There has. I want to say it's a double-edged sword because she's really tough on me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But my wife, there's no doubt. She's really tough on me. And the longer I've been in this entrepreneurial journey, the I've noticed that the more I rely on her and I lean on her for everything. And she has just been that rock solid person for me that I can lean on and ask questions to and run things by. It's just been so phenomenal because she'll do that for me. And she still takes care of the home front. That's not an easy job. No, it's not. She sounds like a very special lady. I love that. She is. She yeah. is. She's very, very patient to deal with someone like me. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all, as I feel like, as women, as wives? <laughs> That's very cool. So I know you've got two little ones, two kiddos. So in growing up, can you tell me one lesson that you've learned from childhood that you've either instilled in your kids or would like to instill in them? There's a lot of things, but I think it comes down to treating others how you want to be treated. A person growing up on the islands, having a strong culture and having strong, strong family and friend relationships, it's really about like respecting others. And again, treating people how you want to be treated because everything you do in life in front of your kids will mold them into who they are in the future. So really just treating others with respect and being a better part of society. Yeah. The golden rule, right? The golden rule. Yeah, it really is. Good stuff. In today's age. Yeah, I know, right? No, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Eric. One last thing, of course, is for our listeners that are out there, like what's the best way that they can get in contact with you? The best way they can get in contact with me is through LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and we can put my name in the show notes. I'm on Facebook. And then you can also check me out on my website, www.arrowwindscapital.com. Awesome. Good stuff. Arrowwinds. So that is for everyone. Again, www.arrowwindscapital.com. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much again, Eric, for coming on the show. I loved having you on and having this great conversation and we are happy to have you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. I always enjoy talking to you. I always enjoy listening to your podcast. You're really great, really entertaining. So thank you for the opportunity. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. We'll chat soon. (laughs) All right. I hope y'all enjoyed the episode. If you could do me a favor and please subscribe and reach out to me on LinkedIn with any topics that you might like to hear about or experiences that I can share. Thanks for listening. You are appreciated.